God's going to do something amazing today. Do you agree? We have been advertising. We're going to be starting a new focus. I don't know how many of you uh, looked at Facebook and got excited. Did you all bring your swords? Your, the, real, the real deal. Did you all bring them? You guys didn't look at Facebook properly. Now, I know some of you don't know that I'm a swordsman. And uh, not one of those fancy guys. You know, you get those fancy swordsmen. It's kind of like... But I, you want to see what I look like in the spirit, don't you? I want to show you a picture of what I look like in the spirit. I have designed a new app that can now take a picture of what you look like in the spirit. I want to start something today, and we're going to be spending a few weeks in this, looking at how to wield a double-edged sword. How many of you are interested in some of that training? And uh, it's going to be very practical. Heads will roll. Things will happen. <laughs> Ephesians 6.17 tells us that this sword is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And so when we talk about the sword that God's given us to wield, it is the sword of the Spirit and the sword of His Word. When it talks about in Hebrews that it is a double-edged sword, that means it's got two edges, right? Oh, you guys have done Bible school. I can see that. Two edges. Well, what are those two edges? Each edge represents an aspect of God. But there's two edges to that sword. It is the Word and the Spirit. Now, I don't know about you, what church you grew up in, and if you just recently got saved and only just came to church, I think you are fortunate. Some of us grew up in churches where we got taught some wrong stuff. Now, I grew up in a great church which was very Word-based. Gave us a lot of word. I memorized a whole lot of scripture, and that was part of the discipleship program. If you were discipled, you had to memorize scripture. You had to know it off by heart. You had to understand the Greek. My father was an amazing teacher of the word and studier of the word. Our house was just filled with concordances and dictionaries and encyclopedias of the Bible. And it's, I grew up kind of just, you have to know the word, but we weren't allowed to move in the power of the Holy Spirit. In fact, the Holy Spirit, well, he kind of just passed away. Any of you grew up in a church like any of you? I mean, there's still some churches where they work hard to keep the spirit and the word separate. There's some churches that, well, we just operate in the spirit, but they don't teach people or have solid grounding in the word. And we've got to move in both if we're going to experience the fullness of God. Some people seem to think that God is like a buffet, you know? Because Paul said, I buffet my body to make it my slave. Didn't he? Oh, he said, I buffet my body. To me. Oh, of course, I thought it spelt the same. But they think that I buffet my body. It's like, oh, look over there. There's some, hmm, there's some nice riches and prosperity. I'll take some of that steak. Oh, no, broccoli, broccoli of spiritual disciplines. Mm -mm -mm -mm. And we, we pick and choose. But if you want the whole of God, you've got to embrace all that he is. And you can't say I'm more comfortable with one than the other. And so today we're going to talk about how both His Spirit, His anointing, His presence, and His power have got to operate with sound biblical scriptural understanding. James talks about this. Those who have just read the Word and so deceive themselves into thinking that they're doing it, but they know it, they just don't act on it. And he says it's like someone looking in the mirror and going away and forgetting what they look like. I don't know about you, I sometimes want to forget what I look like in the mirror. 
Some of you here look too good for that. You probably all remember exactly what you look like. And then we're, I don't know, just something to reflect on. But don't be deceived into thinking that because you know stuff, you're doing it. I think it is such a common thing in churches in my life where I know so much about the word that I assume I must be doing. And then God catches me and says, Andrew, you know that stuff so well, but what you did there reflects that you actually don't know how to put it into practice. Or is it just me that he does that with? But Hebrews tells us this, the word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Now, when we talk about the word of God, understand, living and active, sharper, when it talks about soul and spirit, bone and marrow, those are the things that are unseen. How many of you can see your bone and your marrow right now? Because if you can, you shouldn't be in church. You should be in hospital. <laughs> Pastor Desh, who is also a doctor, if you're going to see her because your bones and marrow are visible, do it in her rooms, not here. But what it's saying is that the Word of God goes to places no one can see, and it carries on in that chapter. It talks about how God can see everything. Everything's an open book to God. He sees everything. But the Word of God goes to places that you're not even aware of and divides between that which is of Him and that which is of us. And it helps us to discern what is God's Word and what is my Word, what is of God and what isn't. And when the Word of God is living and active, then a church that says we're a Word church should be a church that's also living and active. Well, I, I grew up in a church that was a Word church. I don't know how much living and active, but God brought revival to that church. 35 years ago, I was the youth pastor there, and we, as a Methodist youth church, I was leading worship, and the presence of God would come. Demons would start coming out of young people. We started holding our own evening services. People would fall under the power of God. I remember times, I mean, I'm talking 19, early 1980s, being stuck under the pulpit of the Methodist church, rolling around laughing, unable to get off the floor. We had no idea what was going on. The presence and power of God hit us. We had revival in that church. And the presence and power came to show us how the word is meant to be put into operation. And I'll tell you, my life changed after that. I got involved in, you know, what was the start of Rhema. About 300 people there when I went and got baptized in the Holy Spirit. And back then, being a part of the Spirit and the power wasn't very popular. Remember those days? You were called all sorts of names, and if you spoke in tongues, it was the tongues of demons. But the Word of God, if it's active in your life, has to be saturated in His presence because it's the presence of the Holy Spirit that wrote the Word. It's the power of the Holy Spirit that guided and prophesied those who were writing. So you cannot even understand the Bible without the power and presence of God helping you to. Would you agree? Some of you read your Bible and found out there's some things in there that don't make sense. There's some things in there I don't know if we'll ever make full sense of it until Jesus comes again, like the day Jesus is coming again. I was getting my notes here. There used to be a day I could preach without notes. Carol does it. My wife, because you notice she preaches without notes. I have a beautiful, intelligent wife who can preach without notes. I'm not quite there. You know, they say opposites attract. I'm not sure what that says about me. My wife's good-looking, intelligence. Maybe some of it rubs off once those opposites have attracted. So, But I, I have to stick to my notes. I have a tendency, I think some of you have noticed, of telling jokes that were not scripted. Sometimes getting into trouble and 
So, some of you might remember the guy who shared one story. You've heard this, that he was in church and he shared, I spent some of the best years of my life in the arms of another man's wife. I was like, good grief, bro, you're busy preaching, you know. And he concluded with, who was that woman? That was my mother. I was like, oh, good save. What a brilliant. So next Mother's Day, I was like, I have spent some of the best years of my life in the arms of another man's wife. Now, if you're going to tell a story, you must make sure you remember the punchline before you tell the story. So after a long pause, all I could say was, man, for the life of me, I can't remember who she was. So anyway, that's just uh, make sure I stick to my notes. I, in fact, I, sh I shouldn't have even gone there. Come back, come back, come back. So thank you, Jesus. Lord, as we share on your word and spirit, would you do that in our lives today? We thank you that you don't mind jokes. You have a sense of humor because you made us. And we ask you, Lord, to bless every person that came here. Open our eyes to see new things. Cause us to think like you, act like you. Cause us to see new things in your word. Cause us to operate in a new anointing because we can't do it on our own. Everyone said amen. So when we look at our vision, we have a vision as a church where we say, guys, we want to look at what did God call us to do? And not every church can do everything. Would you agree? And so because not every church can do everything, we will be powerless if we try and do everything to break through the screen. If I say I'm going to make a hole in the screen and I'm trying to do it by doing everything, what you have to do is you have to take some things away to be sharp and then you can penetrate. Now that's kind of what a vision does. It tells us these are things we call to do so we don't do the other things so we can be good at what we call to do. And part of the vision God's given us as a church is to disciple the next generation of leaders to be able to grow up and influence the city, the nation, so it'll be transformed by people who understand how to operate in three things. The Word, the power, and the presence. I was discipled in the Word most of my life. It took a lot longer before I got the power and the presence. Pentecostal revival took place, charismatic renewal. It hit South Africa pretty late. Probably only in the last 30 years that we really started to see that move of God take place and take root. Now it's just all of us are charismaniacs and it's okay. Back then, there was something wrong with you. If you moved in the gifts of the Holy Spirit and spoke in tongues and, and we had to push through a whole lot of stuff, but now it's just normal. Back then, if we look at some of church history, church history will tell us that the church started in power. Ever read the book of Acts? Church started in power. If you read the book of Acts, I think, on an island, and then left that island to come to the place where the church is alive and well in the world, you would expect a very different world. You would not expect to see the church struggling and the enemy thriving after reading the book of Acts. After just a few short centuries, there's no such thing as a short century. A century is a century. Long centuries, they just had centuries. After a few centuries... They took the Bible away, they took the power away, the presence away, man became head of the church, and we entered into what they called the dark ages for a thousand years. A thousand years! You weren't allowed to own or read a Bible. Can you believe that? The world was thrown into chaos, they lost everything, so most of church history has been, since 1300 to 1500, the re-establishing of everything that was lost started with the restoration of the word we see 1300 
John Wycliffe in the 1300s, restoration, destroying of all the heresy that came into the church. We see John Huss, Martin Luther, all restoring good, sound biblical doctrine. And although we saw John Wesley then bring in power, anointing, understanding of the word, it was only in the 1900s we really saw a restoration of the baptism of the Holy Spirit power and presence. And so what that means is that the restoration of the fullness of what the church is that God is coming back for has been taking place at its fullest and greatest extent in the last 20, 30 years. Isn't that exciting? The rate at which the church is growing, developing, and being restored is far greater than any time in history. The rate at which Christians are being birthed throughout the world is faster than anything imaginable. Carol showed the map at one stage. I don't know if you recall that. Go look at it. Go YouTube it. The rate at which Christianity is growing. And God is trying to teach us again how to walk in the fullness of everything that is His Word, everything that His presence entails, and exercising it through the power of His Holy Spirit. A lot of churches who were birthed during those times, just got stuck in the revelation they had for that season. Let's not be a church that says, well, that's who we are, and we miss the next few moves of God. We know we're close. If Jesus is coming back for a glorious bride without spot, wrinkle, or blemish, would you agree with me some things are still changing? And the church Jesus is coming back for is different to the church in Acts. In the book of Acts, we saw a church where the apostles did all the miracles, power, anointing. The church Jesus is coming back for. The world's not going to be changed because you have a few great pastors. The world's not going to be changed because your pastor knows his Bible and can move in power and presence and anointing and prophesy. It's only going to be changed when every single believer is moving in the fullness of this. Would you agree? You, 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 and you, and even you. Moving in the fullness of this wherever God sends you tomorrow. Whenever we look at the way God operates throughout Scripture from Genesis 1. Now, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth the spirit hovered the word was spoken we see the father we see the word we see the holy spirit operating words spoken power making things form throughout scripture throughout everything god did he always worked together with word power and presence jesus showed when he spoke to the scabs and parasites you remember the scabs and parasites for visitors those are the scribes and the pharisees these are the guys who wrote the Bible over and over and over and should know it off by heart. The scribes, that was their whole job. We rewrite the Bible. The Pharisees were the ones who trained everyone in how to understand the Bible and the revelation, and they were the experts. And so when Jesus comes to the experts in Scripture and says this, you, scabs and parasites, are in error. Oh, Jesus, we're the ones that tell everyone what's right because you do not know the Scriptures nor the power of God. Friends, there are people who know this Bible better than me and aren't Christians. There are atheists who have studied this book, but it hasn't changed them. You can know the Scriptures, but unless you have the power and presence of God to actually make it alive, to make it the Word of God, instead of just words on a piece of paper, then you don't have the power for it to change your life. It's not just reading the Word Getting into the Word. Jesus is called the Logos. He is the Word. You might find this interesting, but not everything in this Bible is the Word of God. A lot of people say, here it is. This is the Word of God. Well, this is the Bible. 
word Bible, it comes from the word Biblos, which means library. It is a library of books. Some of those books are the Word of God and have the Word of God. Some of them don't. Some of them are the words of men, and you better not live your life by them. What about Job? God rebukes Job's friends for darkening my counsel and failing to represent me properly. Half the stuff Job said, God rebuked him. This contains the Word of God, and we need some training in how to know what is the Word of God and what isn't, and that takes power and presence for it to change you. The disciples were sent out, and he said to them, preach everywhere. The Lord worked with them and confirmed his word by signs, not just preaching, but by experience. Next Sunday, we're setting aside Sunday to do an experiential Sunday where it's about experiencing, releasing more of the power and the presence. And the Sunday after the conference that we're having, we've got Pastor Bill Bennett coming, master swordsman who actually trained Kel and I in our sword fighting skills. Our father in the Lord, so to speak, who started his people, Every Nation Ministries in Johannesburg. And we send aside these three weeks to trust God that he's going to do a miracle in your life in terms of operating in the fullness of what Jesus has called us to. Not just what you see historically, not what was handed down traditionally, not because, well, it's always been done like this, but because we are becoming the church that Jesus is coming back for. That's what we're called to do. Don't look at what you've been and, well, it's always been done like that. There's something wrong if we're not the church Jesus is ready for and we just keep doing the same thing. It's the definition of insanity. Keep doing the same thing and expect different results. We have to change the way we build if it's not bearing the fruit of being like Jesus. So Paul wrote to the Corinthians. He said, listen, guys, my message, my word, my preaching, it's not just wise and persuasive words, but it has to come with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith doesn't rest on man's wisdom, but on God's power. Amen? Now, I use this illustration, and some of you might have heard the illustration before, but it's like the train and the tracks. So I'm going to give you a whistle-stop tour through this analogy. Whistle-stop. I hope you get that, like train station. Okay. But if you are listening to the podcast, I'm sorry you can't see the pictures. You are missing out. What that means is you should have come to church. Anyway, <laughs> but friends, you need the tracks of the word. You need the word to stay on track. And we need to examine our word because not, there's so many things open to interpretation that has taken sometimes hundreds of years to figure out what some things mean. And in fact, in the last hundred years, there have been manuscripts discovered. There were earlier manuscripts of what we had before that changed the way we translated and interpreted Scripture. People say, oh, the King James is the most accurate. No, it's actually not. The King James was translated from some of the most inaccurate older manuscripts. So they had to retranslate the King James Version based on some of the newer manuscripts to get it right. Did you know that? And so some of the later versions that are coming out based on the newer manuscripts are more accurate. Just throwing, kicking some sacred cows might have come in here. Just get a move. So we need to constantly be looking at what do we believe? What is Scripture saying? How do we interpret it better? Some people, however, their tracks look a little bit like that, you know. And that's okay. Some of us are still getting our belief system down and getting more accurate. But I grew up in a church where they did that on purpose. You know, because that little track over there, that was the gifts of the Holy Spirit, baptism in the Holy Spirit. It was like, woohoo, we are taking a detour. And they would explain away that one. This one right here was healings, you know, and miracles. We, we tried that, didn't work, so we're going to theologize around that one. But while we're in the work of getting straight tracks, 
Theology is wonderful. I study theology. Good theology is good. But there is a lot of theology out there today that is just there to make things as academic and as complicated as possible so that the normal person goes, what the, how can I understand the Bible? And their tracks look something like that. And they, they make it so complex because they have to be important because I studied for seven years. I got to know something someone else doesn't. So that kind of theology is the art of making the simple complex. Jesus did the opposite. Amen. There are other believers who have gotten so distracted with busyness and other things that their time in the Word and the Word's influence in their lives kind of got covered up and is rather non-existent. It's hardly noticeable anyway. No, that's none of you. And when you do get time, you're off to the beach, right? That's somewhere in Namibia, by the way. I've been there. Train tracks that just head into the middle of the ocean. I've, just, I've never taken the train that goes there. It'd be interesting. But then... You know, you get a lot of Christians. I grew up in this world where it's kind of like academic apathy. We, we know the word well. We're just camping out there in the word. And we've all got a different position on how we interpret it. And, and they're arguing about whose position is the best. My position's the best. You see, I've got two sleepers. There are a lot of sleepers in churches today. And I hope none of you are doing it now. Uh, this one's going, oh, guys, you missed out. My position's the best. Look, and she's even starting to learn to raise her hands. There is a position where you can raise your hands in Scripture, biblical, thorough position. But that is, it's kind of like what so many Christians, and James talks about this academic apathy where you're deceived into thinking you're doing it because you know it. And you just hang out, and they just want to talk about what they know about the Bible. And when you ask them, well, are you doing it? No, they just want to talk about more about what they know and what they know. And they spend all their time arguing about their biblical accuracy and their straight tracks. But when you ask them, who are you discipling? Who's discipling you? When last did you see the power and presence of God like you read in Acts operating your life? They'd rather stick to just talking about it than doing it. And I can understand that. Because, friends... Reading the Bible, understanding the Bible is easier than stepping out and praying for people and they don't get healed. Then stepping out and prophesying for people and sometimes you miss it. Then trying to pray for the dead to be raised and they don't get raised. So it's easy for theologians to go, I tried that, I got disappointed. I'm going to make a theology that says it doesn't happen so I don't have to be more disappointed. The disciples grew up seeing it, so it's easier for them to step out into it. God's still busy restoring it, so we have to be the ones to say, we're going to take risks. If you don't take a risk to say, I'm going to step out and do some of those things that are not as easy as reading the Bible. I'm going to pray for the sick. I'm going to raise the dead. In Matthew 10, Jesus said to them, as you go, this is what you do. As you go, not as you hang out in church, as you go to work tomorrow, wherever you go, heal the sick. Raise the dead, cleanse those with incurable diseases, and cast out demons. Bye. So if he's told us what to do as disciples, it's right there. Okay, guys, we're just going to head out tomorrow. We're going to heal the sick. We're going to raise the dead. We're going to cleanse those with incurable diseases. We're going to cast out demons and come back next Sunday to talk about it. That's the church he's coming back for. Now, we're not seeing that in his full... I've prayed for a lot of dead people. And I know for some reason they don't come to church, so we don't see a lot of dead people raised in church. Why do your dead people not come to church, by the way? Anyway, I've prayed for dead people. I have gone into morgues. 
I've taken bodies like Smith Wigglesworth, banged body against wall, bring people back to life. The wall was too far, I just banged bodies against the floor. Security guy standing there was like, I don't know if I should have let him in. I've prayed for many, many dead people to be raised. I have not seen one yet. That doesn't mean I'm going to stop praying. I prayed for many people to be healed. I've seen some, some of them not. But we stop praying because we look at what God didn't do instead of what God is doing. And if we are going to see a church that is moving in this kind of levels of word, power, and spirit operating together, you've got to take some risks. And you're going to make mistakes. And you're going to get disappointed. And the way you handle the disappointment is of greater value to God than someone who didn't step out in the first place because they didn't want to get disappointed. We sometimes just celebrate the victories. You should, in fact, celebrate every attempt to step out of the boat. We should celebrate, I prayed for someone. They didn't get healed, but I prayed for them. Woo! Because you see the books and the famous people who have all of these things happen, and we all go, we want to be like that. Well, they're few and far between because there's too many of us who think we're going to go from today to that. John Wimber, another John. He says, I prayed for a hundred people who didn't get healed before I saw my first healing, but it was one of the greatest apostles of healing of the past century. And so we've got to move beyond just what we believe in to saying we've got to start doing this thing, amen? But you can have the straightest tracks, you can have gone through theology, you can have a Bible school degree. If you don't have the train of His power, you're not going to see it happen. Amen? So I've got great tracks. You need great tracks. But if you don't put the train on them... You're not tracking with me properly. Now, there a lot of young people, little babies in Christ, they're happy with just a little bit of power they got. I think we're satisfied with far too little. But you know, that's okay for a baby. There are a lot of mature believers who are still quite satisfied <laughs> with just little baby stuff. How many of you would say to me today, I have all of the Word of God living and active in my life that I need? How many of you would say, I have all the power of God and presence of God in my life that I need? I'm, I'm, I'm done. I don't know if there's anyone here who could say that. So we've got to keep looking at where we are and saying, I'm just starting. God, get me more in the Word and get the Word more in me than it has been before. I need more of your power today than I had yesterday. I need more of your presence today than I had yesterday, or I'm not going to become the church Jesus is coming back for. That's His train. His power, His presence is so much beyond what you've experienced. So much beyond what you've seen, heard, or imagined. It's even bigger than that. You know, the temple was pretty big. When you read Isaiah, Isaiah says, His train filled the temple. <laughs> the right side got it. Well, am I right? Okay, that's a joke. His train, train, His power. But let me just tell you, it is beyond what you've seen. Don't settle for less. We are not seeing a fraction of what should be just normal to us. And when God was restoring the message of salvation, some might remember you had to tarry for your salvation. They would tarry for days and weeks. Oh, God, show me that I'm saved. Now we just pray a prayer and we know I'm born again. Bam. They would tarry for weeks and months to get the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We tarried, we tarried. After months of tarrying, fasting and praying, I finally started to speak in other tongues. Now we lay hands on you, release the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and you start speaking in tongues just like that. Bam! Well, that's what healing should be like. That's what miracles should be like. We've got to get to the place where the things we're tarrying in, pressing for, not seeing fully, are going to become just like that. 
And so when we start to see his train move, let's not become like that church that's just so examining the word, and we need good word, and we need good doctrine, and I know the Greek and Hebrew, and I tell you what, the power of God is pronounced dynamis, not dunamis. And I was strong on that. You pronounce your Greek right. God could care less. If someone's moving in dunamis power, and someone here can pronounce dynamis, but they're not moving in it, he'd rather have this guy over here. Just saying. A lot of people on the other side, they just want the train. It's like, oh, there's a train. Jump on. Yay. Woo-hoo. Where's this one going? Well, there's a conference over there. Off to the other train. We've got to have both. Now, you know that tracks without the train is impotent. The train without the tracks is pretty destructive too. And so we meant to look like that. Yes. So we've got to have all three. And this word this morning is really just an exhortation. What are you missing in your life? An exhortation, firstly, to recognize we're missing all three to the fullest extent. Would you agree? Well, we need more word. We need more power. We need more presence. Now, in the natural, you start with the train tracks. You don't just start with the train. I'm going to challenge you this week that we start with the word. Let me just say, have you read things in this Bible that don't make sense to you? Talking about Twain's, Mark Twain said this. Many people are disturbed by the scriptures that they don't understand. I am most disturbed by the ones that I do. If there's a whole lot in here you don't understand, well, don't focus on them. Get the ones you do understand and start doing them. But there's a whole lot in here because it's a book of books. Some of it's not all the Word of God. Some of it is. You've got to know how to distinguish what is God, what isn't. You've got to know how to interpret it. You can't just read the Bible. Unfortunately, it's not a comic book. It's not like a normal book that you can just start at the beginning to the end. There's some confusing bits. There's how has it been translated from the Greek, the Hebrew, and there are so many different translations. So how do you, who haven't studied theology, get this right? It's been made simple, really. There are just some simple principles that we can give you. I'm going to recommend a book. In fact, these guys are on YouTube. You can download their videos. But Dr. Gordon Fee and Douglas Stewart, they're conservative theologians, actually, but they are really great at using sound theology to do away with stupid heresy stuff. But I recommend these guys, and I recommend you read that book. You can download it, get it on Kindle. Because Paul said to Timothy, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who doesn't need to be ashamed, who correctly handles the word of truth. When it comes to handling the word of truth, I want to challenge you. Too many people talk about the Bible without reading it. How much do you read your Bible? How much time do you spend in the word? You can have a pastor who knows his Bible backwards. That's not going to change your workplace tomorrow. That's going to allow you to change your family, where you're going. Charles Spurgeon said this, I will find 10 men who will die for the Bible for everyone who will just read it. So that's our challenge this week. Can I leave you with a challenge? The challenge is, read your Bible. Read your Bible more than you've been reading it before. Some of you, here's the message. Go find that thing. Where did I put it? I knew I had a Bible here somewhere. Where is that? God's given us all a cell phone. Download one. What I'm saying to you is just start to 
read it. Parts you don't understand, there are so many resources now to help you like Gordon Fee's material. And most of us have it on our phones, our electronics, our iPads, technophiles for my sons and children there as well. I want you to know there is a paper version. It's interesting, hey? It's a, I was surprised to find there is. It's a beautiful thing and it rustles. I love it when you say, turn with me to the book of and you hear this. So Josh is helping me write an app that when you turn on your iPhone or your Samsung, turn with me and you press that button, it's going to go. So the pastor still gets that sound of paper rustling. But, you know, it doesn't matter. You can have the electronic version, paper version. I don't mind. Just read it. Read it more than you've been reading it before. Now, if you are new to the Bible or you want to get what is the Word of God, then let me tell you this. Start in the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, they're all four different men writing about what they witnessed. Start in Acts. Acts is where you see the Word the presence and the power operating together. And we're going to see a church where every one of us is doing that. Amen? Amen. So if your Bible looks like this, get the dust off and listen to what it's saying. Read me. I'm going to close by a quote. Ed Stetzer says this, There's much research that shows the correlation between spiritual maturity and reading the Bible. Brad Wagner's, George Guthrie's books, they did a lot of research on mature believers, fruitful believers versus non, and they found this. Reading the Bible is the best predictor of spiritual maturity. In other words, if you're in the Bible, you're growing spiritually. And it's not just about reading the Bible. It really is saying, Holy Spirit, you wrote this. You led men to write the words in this book. So when I read it, bring it alive. That it's not just words on paper. It's not just scripture. It is Logos, the Word of God, living and active, that I eat of this every day. I get into the Word. The Word gets into me, and it changes me. And you know what you'll find? Even if you just read a few verses every single morning, I've got an app on my phone that the moment I turn it on tells me, these are the scriptures you must read today. I don't get out of bed until I've read that every day. But you know how many times during the day God shows me things that match completely the scriptures I read? It's like, wow, isn't that amazing? What if I didn't read those verses? God said, I would have done something that matched the other ones you read. But when you start to read the Bible, He starts to bring it alive in every day of your life. And you find someone at work going, oh, you know, I'm battling with this. And you go, I read this morning. Because that's how God does. He sets you up. But let Him put that sword in your hands so that you're able to have something to use when you need it. Amen? When you stand together, I want to pray for you. Dad, we acknowledge that we actually are pretty far from the church that you sent in Jesus back for. We want to get a glimpse of that. Show me again what that church looks like. A glorious church moving in power, who knows your word and what you say. What, what is actually your word versus the words of men? What is the power? What is the presence in all its fullness operating through each of us? Father, I pray for each person here. I'm asking you'd give them a hunger, a passion, and an understanding of the word like never before. I'm asking, Lord, for parents to see how to parent better when they read their Bibles. Businessmen to see how to be better businessmen when they read their Bibles. 
wives, husbands, mothers, fathers, students, wherever you're at, Lord, use the word to show them that you are not just a God interested in spiritual matters, but you impact every part of their lives with what you have written. And I ask for an increase of your presence right now, that your presence and your power would infuse us again. Why don't you just lift up your hands? However you want to receive, just receive mode. Holy Spirit, come fill us again. There he is. Saturate us again with your presence, your love, your power, your anointing, your grace, your peace. We can't do this on our own. It's not our sword, it's yours. Some of you dropped your sword away back. Would you take it back up now? Lord Jesus, would you come and give each person their sword back when they've dropped it or lost it? We take up our swords from you, Lord. Teach us how to use them. And I declare that every place that you go, you take the anointing of God. You take the presence of God. You take the power of God. You take the word of God. And it will make a difference where you go. And it will change you. Cause us to be a church, Lord, that steps out in these things. That the next generation will find it easy because we broke through. In Jesus' name, give us a hunger and a grace to read, receive, and move in these things like never before. And everyone said, Amen. Something came to mind while I was praying. And I'm just going to share this quickly. You know that when Jesus said, go, and as you go, heal the sick, raise the dead, etc., freely receive, freely give. He said, if you go to a place and it is deserving, then let the presence and the peace, the shalom of God that is in you and on you, rest upon that place. But if that place is not deserving, then take your peace away from that place so that the presence isn't on it. This is something you need to catch. The presence of God is tangible in the unseen realm. And when you go to work tomorrow, you can literally go and say, I have the shalom of God, and I speak to this place, and I say, be deserving. I let the presence and shalom of God rest on this workplace. I let the presence and peace of God rest on this home, on this bed, on this study, on this bedroom, in this lecture hall, in wherever it is and whatever it is, let the peace of God that He's got on you change and shift the spiritual atmosphere around you because that's the authority you have. If we have the authority to make the shalom stay or not stay we should be doing that everywhere we go it's like well i just declare this place worthy i declare this building no matter what happens during the week this building is worthy the shalom of god rests on it because we meet here amen may god bless your week that you will start to see these things